Hi, and thanks for downloading this episode of Queer I Am, the podcast. I really hope you enjoy it. This podcast started as a small idea and has turned into a real passion project for me and is something that I wish to continue to make way into the future, but I need your help in doing so. So there is a cost in making Queer I Am, the podcast, and it's something that I funded and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. But if you'd like to get involved and support the podcast by subscribing to Acast Plus, that would be incredible. And if this is something you can't do, no worries at all. I really hope you keep enjoying the episodes and I intend to keep making them for as long as possible. Season three is coming up and you are in for an absolute treat. I am so, so excited. If you'd like to support the podcast, details of how you can do this are in the blurb of the episode you were listening to. And what this also means is you get to listen to all of the episodes of Queer I Am The Podcast, past and future, completely ad-free. So no interruptions whatsoever. What could be better? Anyway, enough of the serious blurb. Let's crack on with the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I am so excited to be talking to today's guest, who is nicknamed the Queen of the Breakups. Rosie Wilby is an award-winning comedian, author and podcaster who has appeared many times on BBC Radio 4 programmes, including Woman's Hour, Saturday Live and Forethought. Her new book, The Breakup Monologues, is based on her acclaimed podcast of the same name and is published globally by Bloomsbury. Please welcome to the podcast, Rosie Wilby. So whatever you're up to, this is your time to settle down, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Queer I Am. So thank you so much, Rosie, for um, appearing on uh, season two of Queer I Am, the podcast. I'm very excited to interview you today. And um, the first thing we do is ask everyone how they're feeling and also get them to pick a song to reflect their mood of the day. So how are you feeling and what would your song be? Oh, interesting mm. question. I'm feeling... Uh, a little a little tired because it's been really busy time traveling uh-huh. around to lots of festivals uh, over the past few months promoting my book and doing comedy and performances mm-hmm. and book readings and so on um but also you know in a, in a good mood because it, it is the weekend um mm. but i suppose because i've been talking at festivals so much about 
breakups <laughs> because of the theme of my book. I yeah. often sort of think about my favorite breakup songs to kind of get in that celebratory mood about how my breakups have been a part of my journey, my life adventure. And one of my favorite breakup songs is Fleetwood Mac, Go Your Own Way. Oh yeah, that's a good track, isn't it? That's yeah. yeah. Fleetwood Mac. All, I mean, that album, Rumours, is is quite a depressing album, but there are so many good <laughs> songs on that album. Um, yeah, and it is one of those yeah. ones that you just can't help but kind of, you know, I don't know, like kind of like tapulate to or yeah. yeah I, I love well, it. It was it, my it was my walk on music for my solo show about breakups that okay. I did before I ended up doing my podcast and book, and. Yeah, I, it is. Uh, it's it's a good one, and I particularly enjoy it when bands have had breakups go on within mm-hmm. the band lineup, and mm-hmm. then they're still performing together and making music together. Yeah. And there's a, a real interesting tension in that. I think. Yeah, it must be quite strange actually when they perform that track because it's obviously there's so many different stories behind it, and you know what happened and all that kind of stuff. So it, it must be a bit of an odd one, but hopefully they're all kind of <laughs> at peace with the situation now, and they don't mind performing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if you've got if you've got a certain amount of money in the bank, yeah, <laughs> always, you don't mind. It always sweets the pill, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. This broke up made us millions. Let's keep singing it. <laughs> So where do you live now and um, where do you call home now and where did you grow up? Well, I live in Bromley in South London now okay. with my wife, Suzanne, and our dog, Dolly, and our cat, Lily. Oh. And so, yeah, we've got one of each in terms of the pets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to come on to that in a bit, actually. Uh, it's I'm... quite an argument, isn't there? Dogs versus cats. But yeah. we've got one of each. We're, you know, we're keeping it even. Um and I grew up in a place in the northwest called Ormskirk, which okay. a lot of people hadn't haven't heard of. And I say it's a bit near Liverpool. It's a bit like Liverpool if you take away everything. Okay, okay. <laughs> and it's kind of it's a, <laughs> it's a quite a quiet northwest Lancashire town, really. Okay, um, it has a market on a Thursday, and not oh. a lot. Not a lot really happens, um, but my dad still lives there, and he likes the fact that not a lot really happens. That's that's quite comforting yeah. to him i think um but yeah obviously as a teenager it's the kind of place you can't wait to escape and move to the the bright lights of london mm-hmm. and and yeah kind of obviously find other lgbt people if you are you know yeah. not part of the sort of heteronorm mm-hmm. absolutely and <laughs> that, that was my question the, the narrative that one sees on television <laughs> and that was, i was going to say actually you know what was it like growing up as a you know part of the queer community in your home hometown was it quite mm. difficult or yeah was it yeah mm. yeah i mean because i was a teenager in the 1980s when mm-hmm. you know a certain margaret thatcher was in power and <laughs> she yeah. brought in all these all these horrible policies that mm. meant our school teachers couldn't talk about being gay. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it was not a great positive time for for feeling like you were different and you were queer. And yeah, there was so much fear around AIDS and HIV, and obviously mm. an assumption that all gay people had AIDS and were going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was yeah, there was a lot of ignorance and a lot of fear and. Yeah, a lot, a lot of hate really towards queer people. If you look mm. at statistics for how attitudes have changed and how many people at the time thought 
same-sex relationships were wrong morally mm. you know it was it was really high percentage of people in this country at that mm. time in that decade and mm. now obviously it's it's changed considerably now we have progressed <laughs> immensely and uh, you know i'm now married to my wife um which is amazing which is, i know i never thought i would get married when i was a student in in the early 90s we staged a mock wedding outside York Minster on Valentine's Day and two two female students got married and two young men got married as well. And we were just shouting through megaphones going, love is not a crime. And we just <laughs> thought it was absolute science fiction that, that two people of the same sex would get married. And yeah. it, it's bizarre to think that has... That has all changed so much in our lifetimes. But it was a bit sad, that particular mock wedding, because the woman who was marrying her girlfriend was the woman that it turns out everybody had a secret crush on, including me. So we were all actually really, although we were kind of trying to be all defiant and outrageous, we were also really sad because even though it was a pretend wedding, we were like, oh, we can't she do it. She should be mine. She should be mm. marrying me. <laughs> why? Why am I the other bride? I think you know it, it's funny because I, I was born in the early eighties, and um, you know I I hadn't really thought about Section Twenty Eight until probably a few years ago, um, and, and actually more so when I've been making this podcast as well. But I think you know I was quite cross about it because I think when I was when I was a kid, I guess I was you know primary school in the late eighties, and then high school and left high school around the you know, kind of year two thousand. Um, and I think that when I look back now at that time, I realise how much impact that legislation had on kind of my health, my well-being, how I saw myself, the shame that was put on me. And I think that it's it's only one of those things that you look at after the event when you're a bit older and you've got a different head on your shoulders and you think, goodness, how how dare people do that to us, you know? And I think that's a really mm. interesting kind of topic. Um, and, I, and I can only imagine as a teenager kind of growing up in that time, it must have been incredibly difficult, especially when you're becoming more aware of who you are and more accepting yeah. of who you are. Um, you know, all of those voices in the background can seem so strong sometimes, can't they? And it just, it's uh, a sense of yeah. shame we just don't need, you know? Absolutely. Um, and of course, the um, the TV sort of infomercial about mm. HIV that started airing at that time was very scary. It was mm. all kind of gravestones and death and doom. And yeah, it was it was like, you know, if you sort of deviate from the mm. you know the the straight narrative that we are all propagating, um, you know, you're you're going to be cast out of society and mm. and live a terrible diseased life and yeah it was it, i think that the messages were very cold and mm. scary at that time although the one sort of positive influence i had was uh my mum bless her who <laughs> was, was embarrassingly embracing of my queerness and she was all excited and was like oh I wouldn't mind if I had a lesbian daughter <laughs> and she was um I've often sort of spoken in my comedy about how she would start telling me about all her close female friendships and her her female friend Joan who she used to go on holiday with a lot and, <laughs> and how she might have been a lesbian in a different era and all this kind of stuff and then she'd start getting lesbian poetry out of the library because um, she was an English literature lecturer mm, okay. and all the lesbian students would really gravitate towards my mum because she was obviously a very liberal and tolerant presence mm. who 
you, you know, clearly was a feminist who made sure that there were lots of female writers, women writers on on the syllabus and that kind yeah, of thing. So, that's amazing. Yeah. How progressive is that? that? That must have been incredible for you um, at that time. Oh, it's been so liberating. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But also there's a little bit of just that, um, you know, we have that cringiness when our parents, yes. you know, are excited or enthusiastic about, about something or are even trying to talk to us about their own sexuality or their past when, when maybe they had some you know, mm. kind of fun times. We like to think of them as, you know, as really sexless, sexless, and not having any emotions <laughs> or relationships or flings or anything. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't want to think about that. It only happened <laughs> once when you made me, and that's it. Nothing else. Yeah, happened. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Oh, that's so good. So the breakup monologues. Uh, congratulations. I mean, I loved the book so much, and obviously, it's a book and a very successful podcast as well. Um, and I really couldn't put the book down. It was. I mean, I, I have to be honest. I've got so many books to read. So I bought your book when we we initially started having our conversations about recording this podcast and it's been kind of on my bookshelf with about 30 or 40 other books that I've been buying because I see these books especially with queer literature and I'm like oh that's a good one I'll get that one I'll get that one and then you know there's always something to do isn't there so I've had my work cut out for the last few weeks because I've interviewed I think about five authors in the last two weeks so I've been reading like so it's been great because I've been having some downtime and been able to read which has been brilliant um but for anyone that hasn't read this book can you give us a bit more information about it yes so <laughs> the breakup monologues is loosely inspired by my podcast of the same name which has mm-hmm. been going for a few years yeah. and it does combine some of my favorite funny breakup stories from the podcast with my own story about trying to finally stay in a relationship with a girlfriend as she's mm-hmm. called she is now my wife so we do stay together <laughs> and our dog and cat as well our lovely pets and it's very much weaving in that personal story with a lot of the science and psychology of how Mm. breakups work, what we are actually going through when we go through heartbreak and making that science and psychology super, super accessible because I'm a comedian and I've been performing live for many, many years. Mm -hmm. So weaving in that sort of humour and that sense of really immersing myself into the sort of science experiments, like, for example, there's a chapter where I go and participate in a sex lab where I'm sort of wired up to the the machines (laughs) (laughs) whilst watching erotica. So (laughs) I suppose the way I try and make the science accessible is by blundering into the experiments myself and and, or putting myself in situations that are outside of my comfort zone um and and trying to learn from that so so Mm -hmm. you don't have to go and participate in a sex lab or perform comedy at a sex party or you can if you want there were so many good stories I loved it and I, I think what I really loved um it was it was really funny really quirky uh, but as you've said super informative and I think there was lots of research and facts behind the stories that you were telling um and and obviously it does provide a real insight into your relationships but also your breakup so how cathartic if it was was it to write the book and kind of did it enable you to process unresolved emotions and situations of the past as well yeah i think so and the whole project um, where i became a bit obsessed about breakups all came about quite a few years ago it it sort of (laughs) 
started to trigger and catalyze in my mind Mm -hmm. because I was dumped by email many years ago. And at the time I thought, oh, that's a bit much, you know. Yes. (laughs) Of course, now we have ghosting and we have all these new behaviors Mm -hmm. and this whole new language for all those behaviors about how you can disappear without even contacting somebody at all so perhaps with hindsight an email now looks sort of quite polite and quaint (laughs) and sweet really um perhaps i shouldn't have been so offended but i joked at the time that i felt much better once i'd corrected her spelling and (laughs) yes (laughs) and punctuation (laughs) uh you know which is a silly joke of course but um i wanted to sort of wrestle with how i felt about this breakup and indeed how i'd felt about that relationship which had had its its challenges and how we learn from breakups to mm. find more compatible partners, more suitable relationships, uh, more suitable situations that we want to put ourselves into and to also celebrate our periods of being single as well mm. and the, the sort of self-reflection that we're forced to do and the growth that can happen then and how we can sort of learn and heal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was so much that I was able to celebrate about breakups and, you know, the the activity that they then enforce in a way Mm -hmm. in terms of how you decide you're going to go about your future relationships or the rest of your life, you know, either single as, as an individual or, yeah, or in partnerships or relationships or kind of intimate setups of some kind. Um, And yeah, it's, I think it's really interesting and it does help you process things. Obviously, a great mm. deal, um, not only breakups, but, you know, different types of endings, like sort of professional breakups or friendship endings Absolutely. as well, which I do touch on too. Yeah, definitely. And we'll come on to that because that was actually something that I really loved and it really made me think about situations in my life that have have come to an end as well. But I loved how the book was set out and you've, you've mentioned it earlier about, you know, um, it was documented, you know, BG and NAG before girlfriend, after girlfriend. And, and I think you're really frank around your feelings of commitment, intimacy, communication. And I guess, you know, what we must do to negotiate and make our relationships work because it, it does take work, doesn't it? So do you think we live in a society where people talk about this enough? Um, and if not, why not? I think we're very wedded to, if you like, <laughs> the idea of long, long-term commitment and mm. that being a marker of success. I talk about how we have wedding anniversary gifts that sort of ascend in this hierarchy depending mm-hmm. on how many years you've been together. You know, if only been a few years, you'd just get like wood or paper or tin yeah. or whatever. You yeah. know, and if you've been together a long, long time, it's like rubies, gold and diamonds. And it's weird to me that many, many of those couples who stay together forever are really not that happy and they're mm. really quite annoyed with each other. And so we're celebrating those relationships because they've stuck it out to the bitter end. <laughs> and <laughs> until they're miserable. One of them dies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, whereas, I don't know, I think if your relationship isn't, working anymore then sometimes perhaps it's a thing to be celebrated if you're able to respectfully Mm. and consciously and amicably say look we need to you know maybe our relationship is is well maybe it's not over in every sense maybe it is changing into a different type of relationship and we're no longer a couple in that traditional sense but we're 
friends or we have mm-hmm. some kind of ongoing connection with family in mm-hmm. some way, but we're probably not going to be sexual partners anymore. So mm-hmm. maybe we need to open ourselves up to that. And there's all mm-hmm. kinds of different ways that that can happen because, of course, I have talked a lot about polyamory and sort of non-monogamous mm-hmm. structures and approaches to relationships as well. So. Mm-hmm. You know, some people might have a primary partnership that continues, even if it's not sexual anymore, and they might have other lovers outside of that. Whereas, obviously, a lot of people want to keep to a more traditional monogamous, in inverted commas, structure and and break up and then get together with new people. But I don't really see that much difference between those two things, in in my opinion. (laughs) Mm. And I think it's I think that's a really interesting topic, actually. And it's one that I definitely have spoken about so much more since, you know, moving to Brighton, because I think there are so many different makeups of relationships here i mean me and my husband have been together for 17 years this year uh we've been married for 12 yeah which is lovely and you know we've had our tough times we've had moments where it's been amazing we've had moments where you know this year we we separated for for a little bit because we actually had had so much change in our lives that we just needed some time to reflect and i think you know we i think sometimes we go through life expecting that it needs to be a certain way or life needs to kind of always be rosy and actually you know, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but I, but I think that I think that actually the the strength in relationship is when you can grow and change, and you can accept those differences, and then make new ways of moving forward. And I, I definitely think that has helped us. It's been a, a really kind of um, wonderful experience to realise that actually we've grown and we've changed, and we'll keep growing and changing. And the, the fundamental part that I think for us, which um, you know, makes us special is that we, we genuinely like each other. You know, we have love and friendship and commitment. (laughs) And I think there are so many people that have relationships for such a long period of time, as you've alluded to, but actually they can't stand each other. And, you know, he's, he's my best friend. So for me, it it was, you know, it's, that's always there. And I, and I think that relationships can look different to different people. And I think that, you know, we, we have to kind of keep that conversation going. It's, it's so important to, to recognize that it's not a one size fits all for everyone. Um, because yeah. I think people compare themselves to other people, don't they? And they say, well, they're doing this or they're doing that. And should I be doing this? And that's so unhealthy, you know? So, so I think yeah. I, lo- I loved that your book touched upon all those different topics, because I think, you know, if people are thinking different things and they think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be thinking this, maybe just reading about it kind of gives people the permission to go, okay, yeah, that's great. I, I've got those kind of feelings and thoughts too. And maybe that's something I need to talk to my partner about. And so, yeah, I, I loved all of that. I thought it, I thought it was great. Really, really great. And oh, I love, I love, no, no worries. I loved your theory as well around separate spaces for sleeping and alone time. And I absolutely <laughs> loved the comment, the thank fuck for that comment when girlfriend suggests that another night sleeping apart after the, uh, the cat and the dog had been a nightmare the night before and you're both really <laughs> tired. And, and actually last year, my husband and I, um, he was having real trouble sleeping. Um, and after so many years of sharing our space together, I initially felt really insecure. I was a bit like, Oh, I, I feel a bit weird him being in the in the spare room. It felt a bit strange. But then I absolutely loved the space of like, oh my God, I've got the whole bed to myself. This is really, <laughs> this is really, really lovely. Um, so and I think we have all these uh, ideals around relationships. So so how do you think couples can set their own rules and be comfortable with them and again make sure they're not conforming to what society says they should be doing? Yeah, I mean it's funny how many people have picked up on that little 
bit towards the start of the book where I talk about how we fairly frequently sleep in separate rooms and we seem mm. to go in phases. When I was writing the book, we were sleeping in separate rooms quite a bit. Mm. And then sort of, I think since then, we then had a phase where we were sleeping together a lot. And now we're, I think we're both quite tired and we're sleeping separately again, a reasonable amount. But uh, it's interesting what a taboo that is because mm. it's really kind of a simple thing um, and sometimes you have different schedules. Someone's getting in late, someone's getting up early or maybe you have pets or children who mm. are disruptive to to routines. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny yeah. with our, our pets in particular, you know, because the dog does take up loads of room on the bed and the cat can be quite scratchy when she's not getting attention she might want <laughs> you know cats typically want their breakfast at like 5 a.m they suddenly yeah. decide they're hungry and they're going to start like doing loads of noisy things to try and wake you up wake the humans up and yeah. the uh, the simon's cat cartoon is is quite true to life isn't it mm -hmm. where <laughs> you know the cat eventually gets a baseball bat to whack his owner <laughs> on the head <laughs> um and, and you know i don't think our cat is far off doing, <laughs> doing something like that um so yeah i i just think it's really interesting how we have all these pressures that mm our relationship is supposed to be and look a certain way and that we are somehow failing if we're mm. not sleeping in the same bed together. And it's, it seems ludicrous because actually we do sleep so much better when yeah. we, when we sleep separately. And sometimes it's absolutely lovely to snuggle up together. We do really enjoy sleeping together when we go on holiday because often there's a bit of a different feel and different vibe. Mm. Nobody's having to get up for work. And if we have got, the dog with us we most likely haven't also got the cat with us although mm. occasionally we have taken the cat on holiday but that's a whole other story <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah obviously not if we're going anywhere particularly far afield um so things are different when we're on holiday but yeah it's amazing that we think oh you know if you sleep in the spare room somehow that's a precursor to, to breaking up yeah, so which silly, is not it? at all it's actually probably really quite healthy and sensible mm. and you're both recharging and yeah. you know making sure you have the energy to do your work and to do the things that you have to do in and around your mm -hmm. relationship and actually probably it's maintaining and sustaining your relationship for longer than if you stay in the same bed and you're really knackered and tetchy and arguing <laughs> you can't sleep yeah do you know yeah. one of my favorite times is a saturday or sunday afternoon getting into bed i have like oh. a proper two-hour nap right <gasps> and I, I know it's so naughty but i do it i love it and i did it so we, we, why now why are you saying it's naughty that's really interesting you see you're judging yourself i am uh, this is true i think it's because of the amount of time like the, the people that i speak to they're like oh you had a 20 minute nap and i'm like 20 minutes it takes me 20 <laughs> minutes to get to sleep i need like two hours but this weekend we're actually dog sitting um my friend's gone away to see his his parents so we, we've got a beautiful dog here called sky and she's just adorable and um she's really glued to me so yesterday afternoon i said come on let's get on the bed and have a nap and we both slept for about three hours it was beautiful Aww. but again it's like i love that space for a nap i kind of because i'm six foot two three so i need space <laughs> so i kind of like get in i kind of spread my legs my arms i'm like oh this is amazing and <laughs> you know if i enjoy that why wouldn't i enjoy that in the evening i'd get eight hours of that you know it's so yeah, yeah. i completely agree with you it's these silly rules that we have but i think sometimes Again, it's good to read about this stuff and, and to hear these conversations because 
people are then going to their partners. I'm oh, actually, I, I can't feel the same. Should, should we get a spare bed? It'll be, it'll be quite nice to have our own time. Yeah, something, you know? and I think it's just, it's just good to normalise it. And I think mm. humour and talking about these things in a slightly fun way is yeah. a good way to demystify it and make it less scary. Yeah, and yeah, because not everyone would want to pick up a really dry and sort of academic textbook about the psychology of relationships and why it is okay to sometimes Mm. sleep in separate rooms but i hope maybe a sort of more fun and personal uh book might might just feel like that's a more accessible way into having some conversations with your partner and saying oh actually you know maybe it it would be quite sensible to sleep in separate rooms some Mm. days during the week when you know, we've got really early starts and or late nights and, and you know, we're mm. really knackered. I mean, yeah, like you say, luxuriating in all that space. Oh, it's great. It's isn't beautiful, it? especially in a nice big bed. I think we need to, I need to try and find a way to get this episode sponsored by a bed company because sales will be going up, honestly. <laughs> well, exactly, I know. I mean, because I do quote, uh, as you say, I have footnotes in my book where I mm. quote lots of studies and surveys. And there was a survey done where couples were found to be much, much happier if they slept in separate beds. However, mm. it was sponsored by a bed company. So <laughs> uh, there we are. They, they, they might want to uh, sell more beds. And I think that the interesting thing is about all these surveys and statistics mm. and studies is you often uh, can take them with a bit of a pinch of salt depending on where the data has come from. And I, mm. I think that's that's quite the fun thing about data. But then obviously there are proper academic studies where you do start to get some kind of picture of, you know, what's happening when we get over relationships. And there's Mm -hmm. lots of studies I quote about how, you know, people have reported these positive, positive aspects of of growth and decision-making after a Mm -hmm. breakup and their sort of sense of purpose and Mm -hmm. where they're going to go after a breakup and after they feel they've rebuilt themselves somewhat. Um, so yeah, there are lots of interesting studies I do quote, but I, I do think, uh, yeah, there is, there is some fun to be had with data and looking at where it's come from. Sometimes. I think so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in the book, you, you talk about queerness and how our experiences and sexuality can affect how we engage in relationships, I guess. So, but, and also how we see our position in the world. So what have your greatest lessons um, been in that regard? And, and what advice would you give to anyone coming to terms with who they are or finding how they fit into, into the world? Yeah, I think queerness is a really interesting topic when you start to look at the psychology of love. When mm. I was researching for my first book, which came before this one, my first mm-hmm. book was called Is Monogamy Dead? And, and looked more at the sort of world of polyamory and what monogamy means and how we've sort of made all these assumptions about how we're supposed to have relationships. And when I was researching that, I was really shocked at how many of the sort of more academic textbooks about the psychology of love make a sweeping disclaimer near the beginning about, oh, you know, we'll we'll be largely talking about heterosexual relationships. Mm. We'll assume that all those other relationships work the same. I think it our relationships don't work the same at all. I mean, yes, some very broad brush universal things about how we become attracted to somebody and fall in love and then fall out of love and how we move through these different stages of a relationship that anthropologists would call lust, romantic love and attachment, Mm. which have very different brain chemicals attached to them. Those are universal. Mm -hmm. However, if you look at behaviour patterns between a relationship between two cis women, or two cis men, gosh, 
those are really, really different. So different. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. You know, typically, historically, lesbians have favoured a pattern of really rapid serial monogamy and uh-huh. a lot of breakups. And so this is why I joke at the beginning of my book that if you want to know about breakups, you should ask a lesbian <laughs> because we're sort of the world champions of breakups because even though we typically, statistically, have done it much more frequently mm. over our, the courses of our lifetimes, I mean, you'll often meet a lesbian you know, of a certain sort of midlifey kind of age, will say, "Yes, I've had ten serious relationships and ten big big breakups." Whereas, you know, an equivalent aged heterosexual person has probably maybe had, you know, one or two one serious or two, yeah. relationships, mm. and and you know, they're maybe still married to the person that they met when they were really quite young. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas gay men often, and uh, you know, none of these kind of statements are, are universal and applicable to all. Of, of this particular group, but gay men often have a sort of primary partnership which stays together a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And they maybe have a more open agreement about sex outside of that relationship. And I think that can be a very healthy thing. And as mm-hmm. long as that's all consensual and agreed respectfully and all that in the open, mm-hmm. I have no issue with that at all. And you actually see gay men having the lowest divorce rates of anybody. Oh, that's so interesting. So interesting. And lesbians divorce at several times the rate of gay men. And it sort of turns our cultural assumptions about men and women on, mm-hmm. on their heads mm-hmm. uh, because we kind of assume that women are somehow sort of loyal and steadfast. And if you really look at things in an animal way, that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at female animals, if you look at maybe like female bonobos, I talk about it in the book, um, and they're all having rampant sex with each other, right? So <laughs> yeah. bonobo society is matriarchal because they're just having a great time together and they occasionally have to mate with the men bonobos who are just sitting over under a bush or whatever going, oh, look, can we join yeah. in? Yeah, um, what about and, me? <laughs> yeah, I know, but the, the female bonobos are all like, helping each other because they formed powerful alliances because they're having a fun time shagging each other basically. Uh And so, you know, it's, it's really interesting how, Mm. you know, in the animal world, females are really sexually active and in many, many species, there's no shame attached to that because they don't have the same messaging that us us humans do. Um, And this kind of weird sort of, structure of patriarchy that has been, been imposed yeah. on us yeah absolutely um, so it's super interesting and of course when the females do come to mate with the males they are also supposed to mate with several males within the same session and that's apparently why female orgasms across many many species take so long because <laughs> if you have lots of different men lined up then the best sperm is going to be the one that you know, fertilizes you and yeah. and creates the sort of mo- most robust offspring. Mm, mm. So there are all kinds of evolutionary reasons why women are actually meant to be much yeah. more promiscuous than our our society allows. And, allows. and these sort of constructs around monogamy have all been really brought in to police female sexuality. And I do think there's a lot of myth busting mm. that we need to do around female sexuality. And I was just as caught up in those myths you know, and that sort of prudishness of, oh, you know, oh, I don't mm. really like sex. Oh, gosh, mm-hmm, you know, you sort of mm-hmm. make euphem- euphemisms about it. Oh, gosh, look at them doing it. You know, <laughs> and, you know, you sort of kind of, uh, you're influenced by the weird primness of 
you know, sex education lessons, yeah. you know, and, and your biology teacher going, oh, making love, you know. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. People just don't know how to talk about it, in particularly in our weird British culture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think I there really are a lot more people out interesting. Yeah, and I think there are probably a lot more people. If I think about some of the conversations I've had in like a work environment as like jokes or, you know, heard female or male friends talking, you know, who are kind of cis and straight um, talking about sex and stuff. It does make me wonder, though, because, you know, yes, we definitely have got this this world set up where actually, you know, you know, do do the right thing and have one partner, all this kind of stuff. But actually, a lot of the people that I speak to, I think, yeah, you probably would all love to be out there, you know, shagging about and having multiple partners and stuff. But it is just these kind of stupid rules that have been set in stone for so many years to almost shame people that want to do that. And and it's funny, isn't it? Because when you see someone that's a bit promiscuous or someone that's, you know, out there um, living their best life, doing what they want to do, if people hear about that and they're not that way, you tend to hear sometimes a bit of judgment from them, don't you? And yeah. and, and again, that judgment is, is like... Is it judgment or is or it jealousy? Envy? Yeah, this is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it should be a different yeah, different thing. I, yeah, I completely... I think it's such an interesting topic. And actually... I, I would... mean, it's, it's, it's worth noting as well, it can go the other way. And, yes. you know, there is obviously, there are people who have an actual problem with sex addiction and mm. they are not, you know, forming connections that they're getting real sustenance mm. and support and, and emotional intimacy mm. from. So, you know, it, it obviously <laughs> it can go too far. Absolutely. But um, I, I do think it's healthy to be, sex positive if you like Mm -hmm. and I think for me I only started to feel that when I looked into the world of non-monogamy and polyamory because the rules were just different and there was a different level of communication by its Mm -hmm. very nature you sort of Mm -hmm. have to if you're going to open up your relationship kind of talk about what that means Mm -hmm. and I think you know sex and intimacy is different for everyone isn't it it's you know again there's no one size fits all it's like you, you as long as you're healthy happy and you know it's consensual and you're you're having fun and actually it's it's okay with everyone you do you you know it's it's you don't need yeah. to conform i think um yeah repression is is we've had too much repression in life i think if if you're happy doing what you want to do and actually if you're equally happy you know being monogamous and having that one partner and yeah you know enjoying that then that's great too isn't it but um or, or being asexual asexual as well. absolutely yeah absolutely some you know and, and also you know it's kind of <laughs> sounds pretty exhausting having multiple partners it's a bit like how do people get the time it's kind of you know. <laughs> oh I mean I would not have the time I do think it you know maintaining one relationship takes a lot of work and effort particularly when when you do live together and there's mm. a lot of negotiations I find even just we like sometimes are like, oh, what are we going to have for dinner? And we haven't got shopping in. And it feels like so much work to, you think know, about get, the tea. Yeah. think about the tea, getting the tea mm-hmm. on. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God, we're already hungry at six o'clock. We haven't got anything. Oh, you know, getting the tea on is hard work, isn't it? Um, you know, That's my priority. Get the tea on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I completely agree with you. I think, but but you know, if if people do have the time and they're they're having fun, good for them. I think it's um, I think I think it's great. And I, I, as I said, I think the more we have these conversations and the more that we normalise this way of talking, I just think it's you know it's important. And and I think you know generations that are coming you know through now, you know, people are just talking about this stuff more. I think, and people are a lot more open and kind of accepting to different ways of of being. I think you know. Um, 
yeah, I, I just think it's different for everyone. And I and I just think it's it needs to be a positive thing. It, there's no shame. And I think that's that's the thing that I I really have taken from kind of doing my research and reading about all these different topics. It's that, you know, our community has had so much shame over the years and, you know, um, been made to feel bad for who we are as, as people within the community. And I think, you know, this shouldn't be another thing that does that. It's, you know, if you're, you're happy and you're enjoying your life, go for it. It's, you know, what is there to, to regret if you're doing that, really? This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the, the other thing that I was thinking about um, queer women and breakups mm is that we have tended historically to stay friends with Mm ex-partners. And that is something that you see particularly in the lesbian community, but I think in the queer community more generally Mm -hmm. as well, because, you know, if it's a smaller community and if you are marginalised in in some way or, Mm -hmm. you know, the world makes you feel not positive all the time Mm -hmm. Um, you know I think you have to stick together and have some kind of sense of loyalty and and helping Mm -hmm. and supporting one another even if you have been through a breakup you know you might want to still stay friends and take care of one another and Mm -hmm. you know it's particularly when I speak to older lesbians who are you know a generation above me women who are sort of 60s 70s and 80s um 
you know, you find that they'll often say my absolute best friend is my ex, <laughs> mm. which is lovely, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I do, I do think that lesbians really pioneered conscious uncoupling, you know, long before Gwyneth Paltrow yes. popularized this, this phrase. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it goes back and we'll talk about this in a bit, in a bit more detail, but it goes back to being allies of each other, doesn't it? And having yeah. each other's back in our community and yeah, things may end and things may look different for different people after relationships. But if you can be friends and you can be kind to people and, you know, support one another, I think that's an incredibly important, important thing. A subject that I really that really resonated with me I think um is that breakups aren't just relevant to romantic relationships and you you alluded to this earlier um but also to family friends you know moving away from difficult situations and that I think essentially no longer serve you um how do you think we keep that conversation going and also ensure that we are supporting ourselves with that, that TLC that we need because I think sometimes we we have those friendships or those relationships which don't do us any good but because they're historic and because they've been going on for years we almost kind of go oh that's just who they are or that's that's how things are but I think sometimes when we break free from those cycles it's so freeing and you think oh my goodness why didn't I do this before so how do you think we keep that conversation going and and share those experiences to kind of champion that way of, of living yeah well I think it's really interesting how when I was looking at friendship breakups and talking to people about those and also professional endings and removing yourself from mm. a work situation that is not, like you say, not serving you, it was interesting how many people felt a greater sense of shame or confusion at sort of grieving or mourning those losses because we don't have the same scripts attached to those kind of endings. So we Mm -hmm. don't have the songs that you are supposed to sit and listen to Mm. and you don't have the, um, you know, tubs of ice cream that you're supposed (laughs) to sit and eat and chocolate bars and, you know, you're you're not given permission societally and culturally in the same way to, you know, go and sort of hunker down for a couple of days and and just sort of cry and listen to sad songs if Mm. your friendship has ended or your your job or you know or or there's been other some kind of kind of change in your life or even um (laughs) my cat is just um at my feet sort of (laughs) trying (laughs) to uh, get attention at the moment so (laughs) she may have just uh sort of walked into the microphone a second ago so (laughs) if you hear any strange noises it's because my cat is like (laughs) trying to get my attention but I was going to say as well um, because she's getting my attention you know when when people lose a pet as well Mm. um you know that could be a there she is she's just yeah I just had that one (laughs) probably did hear that was her um but I mean we did have another little cat um for a while and he was very very ill and disabled um and we had to have him put down when he was only just over a year old. So um, those kind of losses are hugely significant, you know, Mm. Um, and we don't always kind of recognise them as such. So, um, yeah, I do think we we need to give ourselves permission when we have other big changes or losses in in our lives and Mm. and give ourselves a bit bit of space to to recover from those and then learn from them and change and find new situations mm. and 
you know, new new ways of, of moving forward on whatever information we might have we might have gleaned from the, mm-hmm. the period of, of grieving and self reflection that, that we've had. Mm. I think learning from those situations is really important, isn't it? Because you know, I've over the last few years I've had some some friendships which have come to a natural end and some of them more natural than others. Um and I and I I think sometimes we, because we've been friends with people for a long time, we almost go back to those old patterns because we think, okay, they've been a friend for a long time. We'll just, you know, we'll we'll sort this one out and we'll move forward. But actually, <laughs> sometimes it's, it is a case of going, yeah, this just doesn't work anymore. And actually, this pattern is actually incredibly unhealthy and quite toxic. And it is giving yourself that permission to step away from that and, and and acknowledging that breakup but also then i think learning from that experience and you know when you see signs of maybe someone else you've attracted into your life that you know reminds you of that time it's kind of being okay to say do you know what thank you very much but actually I- i'm good i'm not going to hang out with you today i'm 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 good and, and maybe distancing yourself or having the conversation where you know you think actually this this won't be a friendship that i i can sustain um because I think it, it is maybe it's just not the done thing to to be that honest sometimes, um, especially with friendships and things. But I think we have to be because they can have just as much impact on our lives as a bad relationship. You know, they can make you feel as deflated and angry and upset as, you know, someone that you're living with. So um I thought it was a really interesting point to bring up in the book and i really did appreciate that it made me reflect on some of those situations that i've had to let go over the last couple of years as well um and i you know i think covid did wonders for reassessing life you know covid was a real shitstorm, wasn't it i mean it was an awful awful time and you know mm-hmm. not trying to make light of something that was so so difficult for so many people and mm-hmm. you know so tragic but i think it was an opportunity to kind of really sit with yourself and go okay how do i really feel about this and what is going well and what isn't because there was no distractions you, you weren't distracted mm-hmm. by going to work every day or going mm-hmm. out for dinner or you know you literally could only sit with yourself and your thoughts and in your house in lockdown and it, i think it definitely made me reflect about certain things in in my life and hence i moved to brighton because i was like right time to make a change you know so oh, um, yeah no yeah. I, I do think like you say even though it's terrible terrible time mm. uh for many many people and mm. uh, sort of awful that so many people were, were ill and, mm. and um were suffering you know it's um there was a lot of good things that that did come out of that enforced change and that mm. enforced kind of time to I, I was just so impressed with how many people were outdoors and embracing the outdoors and nature so much more mm. and that makes you think and reflect I think so yeah you know terrible thing happened but there were actually some strangely and bizarrely and you know uh oddly there there were some positive aspects that that came out of that and Mm. I mean there were people breaking up but you know perhaps there were breakups that were meant to happen and the, yeah, it did, yeah, yeah that needed, needed to. to be mm, it would have been a right time if not and it just was it brought things to the forefront of of how people were really feeling maybe yeah but i think on to happier things um yes. so yes. your personal life so i was so thrilled <laughs> to hear that you got married and i think after reading the book and really kind of i felt like i stepped into your world with with girlfriend <laughs> actually yes. um which was lovely so to then hear that actually 
you know, after hearing all the stories and all the kind of challenges and disappointments of the past, actually to come full circle and then be in a situation where you were both getting married, it just it was really lovely to read. So how was the wedding? And um <laughs> yeah, was it everything you wanted it to be or was it very chilled or you know, what did you get up to? It it was a small wedding. It was mm-hmm. really super chilled, um, mostly with with family and a very old friend of mine. Um so yeah, and it was beautiful, really, really mm. lovely. We, yeah, it was just local, local register office, and um, then we went to a lovely place where we had a, a nice meal, which had beautiful grounds to, you know, do some nice photos in and stuff. Um, so it was just very, very chill, um, and we had agonised about having a slightly larger wedding. Um, and the sort of costs of that and, mm-hmm. you know, the stress of like, oh, you know, do we invite this person or that person? Because it, it's weird. Like you either have to be tiny or go really big because yeah. it's, you know, when you know a lot of people, as many of us do now in the world, because we have so many Facebook friends and so many mm. people we've worked with and so many people we've got to know over the years, you know, it, it becomes almost impossible. We were thinking about having a wedding of about 40, but then there's so many people you've got to leave off and it's like, oh God, you know, or if we invite those people, we've got to invite those people. And it becomes a real stress and, mm. you know, weddings are not cheap and, you know, we're both freelance people. So yeah, in the end, it felt much more comfortable to do a really small wedding and mm. to tell all our other friends that we're going to have some kind of celebration or party at another time. Mm-hmm. um so yeah i, <laughs> I really don't lovely. know when that's going to be we haven't arranged that yet <laughs> <laughs> well maybe save that for a bit and then you can there's another chance to celebrate in a, in a you know a few months or whatever but i yeah. completely agree with you i think it's it can become a monster can't it and there's so many weddings that i've been to where i've looked at the bride and groom or you know the, the people that are getting married um I and mean, i'm not i've not actually been to any other um queer weddings actually apart from my own so it would have always been bride and grooms but they look like they're completely you know exhausted by the whole thing (laughs) because it's just like so many people to talk to and you know was that perfect on that table and did that go right and you know what did the you know what did the the dance floor look like when the confetti came out of the key change of the song or and i don't know Uh. for me it's just like that's taking away actually the real i mean it's great to celebrate your love but actually some of that stuff maybe is not for that reason it's just for aesthetics to kind of i don't know be the the biggest day it can be and i think when when you have smaller intimate kind of ceremonies or you know weddings generally it really is about the focus of the love and what you're celebrating and and i think that's a really really beautiful thing so i'm all for small weddings we had about 40 yeah. people but we we literally invited um, a couple of uh, close friends and family and, and and that was it and that was a really really chill day and um yeah, I think again, as you say, money-wise as well, it it costs so much money to do meals and photographers, oh, all that kind of yeah. stuff. So you have to you have to be quite balanced about it. But I know yeah, people have spent thousands and thousands of pounds on a wedding, oh. and it's just like that's a house deposit. Like, <laughs> you know? I know there's so many more things you could do with it. You yeah. can go on honeymoon, you know, have yeah, a nice holiday. Absolutely. Um, and I, yeah, it's a bit like you know Christmas mm. or or. LGBT pride and all these things becoming so big mm. that they lose any meaning. You know, it becomes mm. over commercialized, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and the wedding industry has gone crazy. You know, mm-hmm. if you started fussing about every tiny detail of every little 
table decoration or lighting. I mean, I went to this one straight wedding where they told me just how much money they'd spent on these lights that were sort of up lighting the curtains. And I just thought, my God, you know, it's absolutely crazy. crazy. Um, yeah. yeah, and they were so, probably really paid that much attention. They're probably like, "Oh, that looks nice." And then, <laughs> where's I the know. food? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what exactly. we eat for dinner? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, so it's crazy. it is absolutely crazy. Mm. I mean, that said, I've I've been to some very lavish weddings that have been very very fun to attend as a guest, mm. and mm-hmm. you know, it's great, isn't it, when you get sort of goodie bags and lots of food and and drinks and you know, yeah, yeah. fun times, but. <laughs> Gosh, and you just hand it's... over hand over a fifty quid John Lewis voucher. There you go. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> Cheapest ticket out ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but gosh, then when you start to organise your own, you're like, goodness, yeah. it's quite pricey. Isn't it? mm. As soon as you put wedding, the word wedding onto it, they're like, oh, haha, ka-ching. This yeah. is yes, this is our wedding rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this same is food the... that you you know would be yeah. half that price for just a, a do. You know. Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. We always talk about um, allyship on this podcast, which is something that I think is in- incredibly important. Um, and I-, I think, you know, always like to try and give advice to people who, you know, are allies in the community or want to be better allies or, you know, how we can be allies to other communities as well. So what advice would you give to anyone that, you know, wants to learn more about our community or, or be a be a great ally and how they can get involved? Yeah, I think it's great that we we now do have so many straight allies, you know, in in our queer community Mm -hmm. um, who are doing great things to sort of raise awareness about, you know, both historic inequalities and existing and ongoing inequalities, particularly around around the world. Um, Mm. I was at a a Virgin Radio Pride party the other night because I've been doing some presenting for them. And um, uh, Bissi Alimi, who is doing a lot of work to combat homophobia in Nigeria, was speaking. And, you know, I, I do think we still need to be very, very aware about what is going on around the world. Mm. And I do think that, you know, people in positions of power and privilege mm. um, who often are perhaps white, heterosexual cis men mm. you know a lot of the time who perhaps have influence and power and, and money mm. um you know they they can help in certain ways that um that not everybody can you know um, and the rest of us of course we can all use our voices and you know that that doesn't cost anything to do that and you don't have to know celebrities or whatever to stand up and be counted and, and kind of shout through a megaphone like i did as a student you know when i was <laughs> when my friends were having a spoof wedding in 1992 <laughs> um you know we can all do stuff but it you know, there are sometimes people in particular positions of influence who may not be LGBTQI plus themselves, who, mm. who really can, you know, pull some strings that that can actually make real change politically. Um, so it's great now that there are, you know, some some of these people we we can access and we we can uh, maybe get to to help us a little bit with things that are going on mm-hmm. around around the world. So that is. Mm-hmm. Um, really really positive isn't it and yeah no i i I love it when you know kind of straight women and and men but um in particular a lot of straight women have got in touch with me to say they've really loved reading the book Mm -hmm. and reading about 
a woman having a relationship with another woman because I think a lot of a lot of kind of heteronormative female friends of mine actually make a lot of really incorrect assumptions about what a lesbian relationship must be like because they think oh well women are just really easygoing and lovely and you know oh gosh it, it must be amazing to be a lesbian it must be really easy you know because men are a real pain and but women are lovely you know and I'm like no once you're in a relationship it's still just as complicated really whatever you know combination mm. of people in that relationship you're both human beings or maybe there are more than two of you in the relationship you know mm. we talked about polyamory mm. you know but whatever setup you have it doesn't matter whether you're men women non-binary trans it doesn't matter it's complicated you're human yeah. beings yeah. you know sometimes you're in a foul mood and you're having a go at the other person for no real reason yeah yeah um and so i think that was sort of quite enlightening to a lot of my kind of straight female colleagues and friends and peers who were like oh yeah you know i hadn't really thought about what it must be like you have to the be same challenges that we do yeah yeah yeah, oh, yeah you do yeah oh, gosh. i absolutely <laughs> so, love the yeah. um the, the stand-up uh i saw it on instagram uh i think last week or the week before when you were talking about the, the person that came up to you and said um god i, I really wish I'd, i was a lesbian it'd be so much easier and then, and then you <laughs> said have you tried scissoring i just <laughs> I thought that was so so funny. I just uh yeah, I just again it's it is funny, isn't it? It's um you know, again, we it's great to bring humor to these situations and uh and yeah. you know, but I think it is funny, like when you do hear comments where people say, God, it must be so much easier for you, or it must be, you know, uh to 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 know each other and to, you know, be the same sex and have an understanding of how each other ticks or works. But it's like we all have our times where we need our alone time. We all have times where we're stressed with each other, where the dishwasher hasn't been emptied or, you know, I don't know, something hasn't been done or whatever. You know, we all have the same challenges that any other person has. Um, yeah. But I think yeah. sometimes those comments are, are made as if, like, everything is completely, I don't know, like a a different world or completely, completely yeah. rosy all the time. Um, exactly. And yeah. yeah, so that joke is, yeah, to sort of lampoon that those assumptions, but also yeah. it gives me a sneaky way of also crowbarring in, you know, a, a brief comment about the actual structural inequalities. Yeah. I mean, you know, for, particularly for women of my sort of age, it really, really wasn't easier to be a lesbian. There were always no. things like Section 28 that we, you know, yeah. we talked about. Um, but also how being a comedian puts you in this weird position of having to make mm. light of any situation where you could go mm. into a whole spiel about, mm. you know, how actually it's been really blowing hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, then yeah. you do want to make light of it. And so the first thing that comes into your head it, it, with the comedian's instinct is, have you tried scissoring? Oh, no, I, I, I just, I did laugh so much when I saw that. But yeah, you're right. It's like, if only people really knew how challenging it can be to be queer and, you know, they wouldn't make comments like that. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. I always like um, comments like, um, oh, I've got a friend. <laughs> it just makes me laugh so much. Like when I used to live in my, my hometown, like I'd be in, in work in an office and someone would go, oh, you yeah, know, I've got a friend who's gay. You'll probably know him. And I'm like, I don't know every gay person in my hometown. It's just, yeah. The depressing thing is though, that when people say that to you, you know, oh, I'm not going to know them. And then they say, oh, she's called June or whatever. And you go, oh, God, actually, I do know her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> and you've just actually proved their theory about all gay people knowing each other. Know each other. I've often been to parties where people have gone, oh, there's another lesbian coming. You could talk to each other. 
<laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, as if like you haven't got anything to say to anybody else. No, yeah. So what's new with lesbianism then? <laughs> it's just yeah, literally, I, that's, I have other things to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think maybe sometimes people are just trying to be nice or trying to make people oh, feel no, comfortable. They, but it's like them. they just, really are. Just be normal with me. You don't, you know. <laughs> it's like it's like saying to a straight friend, isn't it? Oh, we should definitely talk about I don't know something. I don't know, mundane or something, you know, when you meet that friend, you know, just have that conversation. It's like, why would I want to talk about that? I want to have a conversation about X, Y, and Z. It's, yeah, it, I don't know. It's, it is funny how people um, say these things to just, yeah, almost try and fill the silence or, or feel comfortable. It's crazy. Yeah. So this has been amazing. Um, I do have a quick fire round for you, which I do on the end of every podcast. So I'm hoping, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping you, you like this. Um, so, but you know what? Some of these questions, like, I always think about like because I've written out. I obviously know what what I'm asking and what my answers would be, um, but it's surprising. Everyone goes, "Oh, quick fire! That that'll be great! That'll be great!" And then it takes ages for them to to answer because they <laughs> they really don't know. But we'll give it a go. We'll give it a go. So yeah, okay. queer, queer icon. <laughs> Theory proved. It's hard, isn't it? Oh my god, queer icon. Um, oh. That is that is really that is really difficult, isn't it? Oh my goodness me, queer icon! I'm gonna say, oh Freddie Mercury. Oh okay, oh yeah, lovely Freddie. Oh, oh. lovely Freddie, just so oh, wonderful performer and just mm. so queer and you know mm. so prominently queer at mm. that, that time, time when yeah. I was young and when it you know it was really wasn't okay. <laughs> no, no, but, no. Yeah, yeah so and that's just that performance at um live aid was just so iconic yeah i, I yeah I, I read his um ex-partner's book actually about his kind of illness and his life and things and was it was it jim hatton or something or hutton um uh, yeah and just such a character like such an amazing person um so yeah i completely understand why, you, why you'd say him actually a few a uh, few weeks ago i was thinking about him because in brighton at the bottom of uh, st james street you've got the sussex beacon um charity shop and there's a big picture of like painted of freddie on the side of the shop and it's just like Aww. every time i see that i just think oh freddie like what, yeah. what, what could what more could you have done what more could you have contributed oh. you know it's just so sad isn't it yeah, I know. I mean, there are so many for me because I, I absolutely love George Michael as well. Mm, yeah, love George. Oh, yeah. Queer anthem. Oh, queer anthem. <laughs> or, or the song that really makes you dance if you're at a party full of fellow queers. What 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 would be the song that would make you really kind of? Well, <laughs> I <laughs> when I started comedy. I became known a bit, it was really silly. I used to do a bit of a spoof Kylie dance for Can't Get You Out of My Head. And Amazing. I would come on in a white sheet to do a really <laughs> rubbish version of her sort of kind of robot, Can't Get You Out of My Head. So I do love that song. Um, and I do think Kylie is a, a great sort of queer ally, isn't she? She is. She's, she's a bit of an icon, isn't she? Okay, we'll go with that mm. bit of Kylie. No one said Kylie on this before, so that that's really nice. I like that. What, what about a podcast you wish you'd presented? So are there any out there that you think, oh, I wish I had that podcast? Oh, yeah. I mean, God, there are, there are so many podcasts. There's one I really love, an American podcast called You're Wrong About, which takes um, 
kind of cultural figures, um, often from the past or from recent sort of popular cultural history, and reinvestigates our assumptions about them. And the reason I discovered this podcast was I um, was interested a while ago in the figure skater Tonya Harding, who okay. you know got into all that controversial hot water because. Um, her boyfriend's friends had all teamed up to do this terrible plot to um, injure her big, big rival who was like the sort of all-American pretty sort of ice queen but wasn't actually as good a skater technically as Tonya who was from the wrong side of the tracks. And there was a really brilliant uh, feature film made about her recently and I forget what it was called but Margot Robbie was in the the lead role and it was really great. And anyway, I became a bit fascinated about this ice skating story and i was looking at podcasts talking about tonya harding and so i listened to this episode if you're wrong about but then there were loads of other fascinating episodes i discovered about people like courtney love that Mm. we sort of have all these assumptions about and maybe when you start to dig into what actually went on and how the media reported different aspects of it. Maybe you see a more multifaceted kind of human being or particular pop culture story emerging than the one that has persisted in yes. in our collective consciousness. Mm. So I, yeah, I really, and it's really, really intelligent and clever woman who presents that. And so I, I do really enjoy that podcast. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I obviously love podcasts. I'm, I'm making one, but um, I do love that sometimes you can find something random and then you listen to it and think, Oh, that's, I don't know. You could be working or doing something, going for a walk and, something even if it's just one thing that's said on that podcast that makes you think something differently and you're just like oh that's yeah i've not thought of that before and i love that we have these platforms that can give us these opportunities to learn new things or see different perspectives on on, on different topics i think that's great yeah. four, pe- four people um past or alive that you would like to have dinner with <laughs> well i i often say kate winslet to these things because i've got a big mega crush on kate winslet okay <laughs> Do you like her in the um, holiday? Do you love the holiday? Oh, sure. that is fun. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm a bit more, mm, well, what should we say, uh, snobby and snooty about films. So my wife is more into the kind of fun rom-com kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. she made me watch The Holiday, but actually, secretly, I loved it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I've probably watched Kate in her more kind of arty films. Um, okay. And, and what uh, what was the one where she, she was played a lesbian character recently who was like um, uh, a kind of fossil hunter on the windswept beaches. Um, okay. Oh, Ammonite, that was called, um, where she, she's with Saoirse Ronan. Um, and they have a, a sort of lesbian affair and brilliantly i heard that she changed the date of the sex scene so it was on Saoirse ronan's birthday so she was like happy birthday you get to have sex with me <laughs> amazing that's so good <laughs> <laughs> which is a fun story so i think she'd be a real laugh yeah. and interestingly my wife has met kate winslet before before i met her um and um yeah she was having a walk along some sort of coastal paths yeah and uh, my wife Suze went onto the edge of the coastal path and did the whole kind of I'm the king of the world thing and there were a little <laughs> group of people who were waiting patiently to go past while she did her kind of titanic routine but weirdly 
when Suzanne looked at who was waiting to go past, one of them was Kate Winslet. Oh my goodness. What did Kate, did she say anything to her or is that what <laughs> have been so funny? <laughs> Well, apparently they all ended up in the same pub and so all kind of hanging out and stuff. And Amazing. she was very, very fun and chilled. So, so yeah, that, that was good. So, so yeah, I often say Kate Winslet because, um, yeah, yeah I, I do have a bit of a crush on her and mm. I, I think she'd be, I think she'd be quite fun company. And also I think, well, I mentioned George Michael and, mm. uh, yeah, I just, I think everything I've heard about him, he sounds like he was so lovely and generous and kind. Absolutely. absolutely loved his voice. Obviously, I've also mentioned Freddie, but there's something about George's voice. Like, if I could get him to sing a little song at dinner, um, yeah. oh, that'd He'd be amazing. He'd probably pay as well, wouldn't he? He'd probably pay, I think. <laughs> He's a very generous man, bless him. <laughs> bless him, I know. Um, and so I might, I've got to say four people, haven't I? Oh. You probably need to invite your wife, don't you? If Kate's going to be there as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, they, can yeah. They, can, be a bit. they can reminisce about that time at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> they can. And um, oh, maybe I'll bring my mum back um, because that means my wife could actually meet my mum. Oh, oh, that, that would be lovely. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's always a nice, um, interesting conversation or, you know, question to ask because um, – I think it's one of those ones. It's such a. It's been asked so many times, but I love hearing what people's um, rationale would be around all the different guests and things. And I've had <laughs> some really interesting people that have um, have been said before, and it's it is always it's always really fun. And I I love the idea of like lots of different people. Like I'd probably have Princess Diana at mine. I'd have to. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Just because I think the conversation would be. I'd probably have Princess Diana. I'd probably have Freddie. I think. Um, I'd have the po- the poet Maya Angelou because I think that would be really yeah. amazing, and probably yeah. Oprah as well. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, yeah. oh god, amazing! And, and, and Oprah's paying; she's taking us somewhere nice, isn't she? I mean, let's be yeah. honest. So, uh, yeah. yeah, but I love that. Um, I just just talking about um, uh, cultural sort of figures that that we've had various kind of misunderstandings or assumptions made about Princess Diana. The the you're wrong about podcast did a whole. Um, chunk of episodes on on her story actually Ooh. so that's really interesting um but yeah wow i love your i love your selections so that would be yeah, yeah that would be a good a good meal i think yeah absolutely oh um, yeah if if someone's buying you a drink what are they buying you <laughs> <laughs> well oh it's really because i'm terrible to buy to get have a drink to to because I can never decide what I want. And actually, <laughs> it depends on the setting. And I sometimes, if I'm, I was at a festival recently in Wales, where they are on the sort of top of the mountain, it's Green Man Festival in Wales, where you're watching the main stage, they have a lovely little sort of um, kind of coffee shop where you can put a shot of booze in your Ooh, coffee nice. or hot chocolate. Yeah. So if I'm sort of outdoors of an evening, I love like a hot chocolate with a little mm. shot of something in it, like a little brandy or something. Lovely. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah. I, we were talk- I, I did an interview yesterday with someone and we were talking about wines and I'm a very particular, so like this time of year, it's like red wine is the thing because it's starting to get like autumnal and, you know, lovely, like nice hearty food. But in the summer, it needs to be crisp and cold and white. It's uh, just, I think it's mm. just, yeah, different seasons have different drinks for me. Like it's gin and white wine in the summer. And, and actually I've, I've drunk quite a lot of beer this summer. I've, I've drunk quite a lot this year, to be fair. I've been moving to Brighton yeah. and it's yeah. done wonders for my social life. But 
but um, <laughs> and, and, but not my bank balance. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah, I think it's different times of year that you have different different drinks and um, oh, yes. hot chocolate. Oh, lovely, especially Ooh. with something in it as well. That sounds oh yeah, <laughs> mm, love it. Um, and one piece of advice that you would give for any inspiring writers or podcasters. Um, well, I think get your idea honed and think about what your unique take on that idea is. When I started mm. the breakup monologues, I didn't think there were that many people talking about breakups and separations. And so I thought this is something we do need to have more conversations about. And actually, mm. you know, maybe we can engender a sense of community and a sense of togetherness and, and a sense of fun in looking back at some of the, mm. you know, more dramatic things <laughs> we did in the wake <laughs> of heartbreak. But interestingly, over the years that I've been doing the breakup monologues, a ton of other podcasts that are looking at divorce and endings and separations have also sprung up other authors have been writing about breakups mm. um so there are definitely other people joining this conversation and then mm. that sort of influences how you need to think about what you're putting out because you also need to think about what makes you unique and i think mm. for me the sort of queer aspect of it and what we learn from kind of queerness and queer relationships and how we've sort of pioneered often new ways of having relationships is a really vital part of that. So I think, you know, my inclusivity is is part of what I think makes me still, you know, a bit different to some of the people who are talking about divorce in a more heteronormative yeah, way, absolutely. which is, is really important. You know, mm. it's great that there are more people talking about it, but then some people, I think, forget that not everybody has been able to get married and not everybody's been able to get, to get divorced, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so it's relatively new for us, isn't it? Mm. Even just using that word instead of a breakup, I think is less inclusive. And I think mm. that's quite interesting. So I think think about what makes your idea really you and something that you're particularly equipped to talk about. But also mm. I do think make it inclusive in, in every sense, you know, mm. and not just in terms of uh, sexuality and age and these kind of things, but, you know, in terms of just making sure that you you know, your guests are from all different parts of the world and not all white voices, you know, and I, yeah, I think that's absolutely. something that, that is important to think about too. Mm, I think you've got to be really passionate about the topic that you're you're writing about or you're recording about, haven't you, as well? That's so, so important to be passionate about something. I think that really comes through when you're making your art as well. So, um, no, I think that's incredibly important. Thank you so, so much. This has just been incredible to speak with you. As I said, I really, really enjoyed the book and I would encourage everyone to go out and buy the Breakup Monologues. It was just amazing. And listen to the podcast as well. I absolutely loved it. And I really do hope you come back to Brighton and do another live one because I will definitely <laughs> be in the audience watching. Um, I'd love yeah. to. Yeah, hopes, I hope to. Um, and if if particularly people in Brighton are looking to buy the book, um, obviously it's available the usual places mm -hmm. online and stuff, Amazon, Waterstones, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think um, the Feminist Bookshop in Brighton have got copies, so they might be worth a look. Yay, absolutely. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Rosie. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Oh my goodness, I enjoyed speaking to Rosie so much. That was an incredible conversation and I really would encourage everyone to have a listen to her podcast, The Breakup Monologues, and also check out the book, which you can buy on Amazon. It's an incredible read and I really did enjoy it. Don't forget to follow Rosie on Instagram and Twitter. And thank you all so much for listening. Until next time. 
don't forget to like, share and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. My handle is at Actually. You can also check out my website, fluiactually.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.